Welcome back to another episode of In The Money. I'm Roberta King, a Vice President Branch Leader with Fidelity Investments, and with me today is Jessica Inskip, Director of Education and Product of Options Play, and Tony Zhang, Chief Market Strategist of Options Play. Both Tony and Jessica are frequent CNBC guests. Jessica and Tony, welcome today. Thank you so much for having us, Roberta. I really look forward to today's conversation. So much to talk about. Same here. Really, really looking forward to talking about markets with you, Roberta. Likewise. It's great to be back with both of you. So today is Thursday, February 8th. And uh, just for a little fun, you know, last week was Groundhog Day and apparently it did not see its shadow. Um, but I do have to say, uh, based on our conversation today, I think we'll be talking about some shadows that are uh, hanging out in our economic indicators today. So, Tony, can you share with us what your macro view of the economy is this week? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I think we should start with, you know, what has what we've seen in terms of shift this week. And probably the biggest shift has been a, a slightly more hawkish tone coming out of the Fed with respect to expectations for rate cuts. Even though this is kind of Groundhog's Day for the past few months, we continue to push out uh, rate cut expectations further and further out into 2024. At the moment, uh, the March rate cut is largely unlikely going to happen. We're pushing it out. The base case is probably out to the May or June uh, meeting where we're going to see likely about a 25 basis point cut. However, what's interesting is that despite the fact that we've seen multiple shifts in rate cut expectations over the past few months, this hasn't really affected equities negatively at all, but the 10-year yield still remains above that 4% level and continues to climb higher towards that 4.2% uh, level. And I'm yet to see if we do break out higher above that 4.2%, which could indicate a little bit more um, uh, you know, effect on equities. However, I think you know, largely what we've seen is a relatively strong earnings season. EPS for the S&P 500 turned slightly positive here for Q4 year-over-year uh, -year growth, and that has largely offset kind of the hawkish tone we've seen out of the Fed over the past few months. But from my perspective, you know, there's still a lot of rising risks as to the rate cut expectations because you know, right now, there are lots of issues with regards to global shipping. We see shipping rates between Asia and Europe up about 300%, US and Asia about up about 100%. So you know, these are things that likely will have an impact on inflation and oil prices. The question is really how much of an uh, impact will it have on inflation and whether or not that uh, complicates the uh, Fed's mandate of reaching that 2% inflation level. But and if you look at the overall picture of the markets, you know, you have the S&P just shy of 5,000 at all time highs, arguably a relatively strong economic picture here overall. Uh, corporate earnings looking fairly healthy going into Q4, yet the market breadth on this market rally continues to deteriorate. And that tells me that there's something not quite right with the internals of this market rally. You know, we keep hearing about how much dry powder there is on the sidelines and uh, potentially at, uh, you know, being able to buy into dips. However, you know, if you look at the markets, 
If everything's so rosy and equities are at all-time highs, why is there $6 trillion socked away into money markets? There's something that's not quite right here. And you know, I think that's also reflected here in what we're seeing here on, on the charts. Yet, uh, yes, the S&P 500 did uh, you know, reach a new all-time high, just shy of 5,000. However, these all-time highs continue to show exhaustion to, these, uh, to the upside. You see the negative divergence with momentum on these rallies here. I think in the short run, you're more likely to get a pullback down to that 4,700 level on the S&P 500. It is difficult, I think, for a lot of traders to kind of not chase these all-time highs and look for even higher rates. And I think uh, this is probably some of the toughest markets to trade right now because there's a fear of missing out on, on continuing, uh, of the markets continuing to move higher. Uh, yet, if you feel kind of uneasy about this rally, it's very precarious to short the markets in such strong momentum. And at the same time, there's really very slim pickings if you're looking for long opportunities in this market. So I think, in my opinion right now, the best thing to do is be a little patient, see if we do get a pullback, and maybe that is the time to start deploying some of that dry powder. Thanks for those reflections, Tony. And when I think about and hear what you're saying, I think about Goldilocks. You know, the beds are too hard or they're too soft, as the story goes. Um, so can you share with me, are there any other indicators economically that are um, that you've got your eye on that would give you clarity or things that you're finding that would be weighty in the direction of the market? Um, I do agree with you. They're definitely telling a mixed story here. Yeah, so I do think you know shipping rates is one thing that we should keep a close eye on. There's, uh, you know, we're certainly coming back to some issues with regards to supply chain. You've got issues in the Middle East with regards to the Suez Canal. You've got issues from an environmental perspective now in the Panama Canal. Those are causing some pretty severe shipping issues. That is likely going to affect uh, Europe at the moment a little bit more than the U.S. But uh, ultimately, that's going to that's gonna have a pretty significant impact on inflation numbers, which, well, like I said, that's the risk that I see to potentially pushing out rate cut expectations. As you see, the 10-year the yield rise back up to that 4.2% level. If we see that uh, continue higher, those are some of the concerns that I have here right at the moment and paying attention to closely. Excellent. Well, thank you. I appreciate that reflection. Um, and that what I'll say is over the years, I've certainly learned that no matter what's happening, there is an opportunity out there. So I'm definitely interested in hearing uh, what your trade idea is this year, given the market uh, that you're looking at. But first, let's talk to Jess. I turn to you for uh, what are your insights this week from a macro perspective? Yeah, absolutely. To Tony's point, when we're looking at breadth, I want to point your attention to the S&P 500 equal weight index. So when we look at the S&P 500, that's market cap weighted, which means larger companies are going to have a bigger influence on the index overall. And that can be overbearing when they have a big piece of the pie, and that could lead to a very narrow rally. And we want to see broader participation. And the way to assess that is using something like the S&P 500 equal weight index that assigns equal weight to the components of the index in each individual company. So that's a measure of breadth. There are many measures to look at that, but that's what I'm looking at right now. As the S&P 500, they, it keeps heading towards all-time highs, and we are just moments away from our S&P 500 5,000 rally hats, but that hasn't happened just yet. The equal weight has not followed suit. It has not 
had all-time highs. So it's catching up though. And that's what I want to watch and what I want to pay attention to. And I absolutely suspect consolidation to Tony's point until I see a close above the 64.37 line, which is my area of resistance. And we have this very keen or it stops immediately right at that 64.37 level. And I suspect consolidation until we close above that in a weekly close before we push any higher. So that's what I'm paying attention to, to measure if we're going to reach and continue to reach all-time highs on the S the broader S&P 500 market cap weighted. Got it. Understood. Are there any other signals that impact uh, when you're thinking about that tilt to potential consolidation that you're looking at? Yeah, I'd really like to take it back to the basics even. So when we're thinking of upwards trends, it's a series of higher highs and lower highs, but it can be indicative of just a direction, meaning if we have stopping points like we do at 64.37, that's our higher high that we cannot overcome. But if we have in these periods of consolidation, consistent lower highs, that's still a direction that's going to give me a indication if we're still consolidating or not. So really the question is, are we range bound? And it is a measure of the lower end as well as the upper end of the range. And if the lower end of the range is rising, then that's an indication that we're going out of that consolidation phase. But it's mm -hmm. absolutely normal to have these pullbacks throughout the market. The market does not go up in a straight line. So we utilize these types of measures to understand that. Nice. Thank you. That's helpful. So let's shift. Uh, let's talk about our trade ideas this week. And again, uh, both of you definitely have a consistent view. Um, so based on what we've been discussing, Tony, what are you looking at to place uh, trades on to find opportunity in this market? Yeah, like I said, it's it's this is arguably one of the more difficult markets to be trading in because of the strength, you know, it's it's not a great opportunity to, to short such strong momentum, even though the risk to reward favors shorts. And then when you're looking for long opportunities, most stocks look quite overbought, you know, stretch in terms of valuations, trading at all-time highs. It's difficult to trade. So I was actually surprised a little bit, especially given the geopolitical tensions that we continue to see and the risks of a wider conflict in the Middle East, to see defense stocks actually lagging behind the markets and trading near lows than highs. And despite the fact that both Lockheed Martin and Northrop uh, Grunman actually reported decent earnings this particular quarter. They both sold off on more uncertain guidance going forward. So as you look for opportunities in this market, defense stocks actually, in my opinion, present a relatively decent risk-reward ratio to add to a portfolio in these types of market conditions, given the propensity for war to escalate here at the moment. So if we look at a chart here for Northrop Grumman, it's trading roughly in a range between 430 and 480 for the past year or so. And the earnings a couple of weeks ago triggered a sell-off to the bottom end of that range, but we did bounce off the bottom end of the range and we are now trading back towards the middle and towards the upper end of that range. So the fact that we've broken above the 450 level here on the, on, on the chart leads me to believe that the next target here to the upside is to fill the gap, which is around 463. And if we can get there, and then we can potentially get all the way up to that 480 level here to the upside. So looking at the charts here, you know, you have a fairly constructive range that so far has held, and we've tested the bottom of the range, and the next upside target here is the top end of the range. 
But if we look at the business here, it's priced pretty modestly at 18 times forward earnings. Uh, but And that's largely because analysts currently are expecting fairly modest growth rates, about 6% EPS growth and about 5% revenue growth. However, that means that this stock is trading below market evaluations. So even though we are expecting EPS growth and revenue growth slightly higher than the market, it is trading at a discount to the market. So that's why I believe at least to the downside, it is limited in these types of defense stocks. Yet at the same time, because these are the types of stocks that has the propensity to outperform in the times of escalations around war, this is why I think the risk reward favors being long some of these names at the moment. But the biggest risk here for some of these names is really supply chain things that I've talked about at the top of the show. Um, a lot of these contracts, the long-term contracts that they have are at fixed cost. They have to manage uh, They have to manage their cost very well. And there are some concerns already where uh, you know costs are overrun. So that is some of the concerns that we have with some of these defense stocks. And I think that is why they are trading at a relative discount to the market um, as, they've, as we've seen here in the recent quarter, uh, these types of effects have dented the share price, but that is the opportunity I currently see. So if you look at the options here on Northrop Grumman, it is, it's not, it's not cheap, but it's also not expensive. So while in the moment I do prefer to be owning the upside, meaning I want to purchase the potential upside here, I'm going to use a structure uh, called a vertical spread. And what that allows me to do is to be a buyer of options, but because options aren't particularly inexpensive, I wanna also be a seller of options. So I'm going out to the March 22nd weekly expiration, and I'm looking at buying the $450 call option while selling the $480 call option. Option. I'm specifically selling the call option at the upper bound of the range because what I want to do is I want to collect a little bit of premium at a level where I feel that is the upside target here for, for Northrop Grundman. So if I purchase this March 22nd, 450, 480 call spread, I'm paying earlier today roughly about $10.35 per share. That comes out to be about $1,035 in terms of risk per contract. And this gives me about a two to one risk to reward ratio if uh, Northrop Grundman reaches that $480 target that I have on the stock by that March 22nd expiration date. That's great. Thank you for sharing that trade. So given your economic thesis, how would you manage this trade over the course of this next month? expiration. Yeah, and, and I think that's a fantastic question. And this is a question that you should ask yourself with any trade that you get into before you get into the trade, have a plan as to what you're going to do to manage this trade. And from my perspective, the the rules for managing a trade when it doesn't go in your favor is very black and white and straightforward. When the trade does go in your favor, you have a lot of options. So let's first cover if the trade doesn't go in the direction that I expect it to. Let's say defense stocks continue to lag behind and the stock doesn't rally, then I'm paying about $10.35 for this debit spread. If I lose 50% of the premium that I paid, which is a little over $5, then I would simply cut my losses and move on to the next trade. Because once you lose 50% of the premium that you pay on a call option or a debit spread, that largely means that the thesis you have on the trade is clearly not working out. And instead of holding onto the trade, hoping that it will come back to break even or turning a profit, you're better off simply taking what you have remaining in the trade and, and taking it and, and applying it to the next trade rather than holding it and hoping for it. 
Now, if Lockheed Martin does rally up to that 463 initial target that I have, which is filling the gap, that's where I would want to start adjusting my trade, start taking some profits or start adding more to the position because now my thesis is proven to be correct. And what I'm really shooting for is for that move all the way up to that 480 level. And that's where I have the potential to hit a home run if I adjust my trades correctly. Got it. Helpful. Thank you so much, Tony. Um, Jess, let's hear from you. What do you see as opportunity this week? Absolutely. Looking at Apple once more, we've um, I've discussed Apple multiple times on this show, and we've actually, this is a continuous trade that we've been watching since early November. So the last trade we discussed was a, a covered call, and that's what consistently we've been doing. And my January 19th, 205 call expired worthless that we rolled back in early December, December 7th. So I want to go ahead and write another call, but know that this was shares that were originally purchased at 183. But let me take you through the investment thesis and how I'm feeling about Apple before we we jump into that. Apple's Vision Pro is taking the world by storm. I don't know if you have seen any of the ads for it or have been able to experience it. It's already backordered with surging demand. There is more demand than there is supply. And in every aspect of the market, that is a very good thing when we're thinking about upwards price momentum. And I expect that momentum continue and translate over into earnings. That Vision Pro release was, was after Apple's earnings. So we even, even have not even seen the impact that's going to be there or any forward guidance around that. So I'm waiting for that. And I'm also waiting to see Apple's AI potential. And we know they've got a big event in March and perhaps we'll see something there. Perhaps we will not. But there is a lot of opportunity for Apple. And I'm still a long-term bull on on Apple, but there is potentially room for consolidation. And that's why when we use covered calls, it's a neutral to bullish view that I definitely want to walk you through. Fundamentally, Apple's trading around 28 times next year's earnings. And most of tech, since we have this narrow base rally, is around the 30s. So I see this favorable from a tech stock perspective. If this wasn't a tech stock, I would call that super high and, and super mm -hmm. expensive in terms of valuation, absolutely. And I always want to mention, two things whenever we discuss Apple. Number one is they did not overhire during COVID like a lot of tech, which is indicative of really great management. And second is they are known for having a lot of cash in their cash neutral step strategy, which is definitely a positive when I'm looking at securities. Now that we're in a restrictive Fed environment, there's a little shift in the way that we're understanding stocks or fundamentally seeing if they, they support a bullish thesis. Now technicals, the chart supports that bullish or that neutral short-term neutral, long-term bullish view. I look at the long-term chart. This one is about a three-year period. And I look at 13, 26, and 40 weekly moving averages. Those indicate one, two, and three quarters worth of prices. And we want to see the prices move up. So just looking at the slope of the line and then where Apple is in position with the line. So the slope of that line is beginning to flatten. That's indication of consolidation and the trading cycle honestly being at risk. That supports the short-term neutral view. But remember, I still have that long-term bullish view. That's something that I'm going to watch. What I want to be cognizant of, much like the earlier chart we discussed, is 
a close above the 13 weekly moving average around 190. That is a resistance that was formed on August 28th. That was the weekly high for that week. I want to make see Apple close above that before it gains that momentum. So therefore, the way I want to structure this, I don't want to sell my Apple stock. I want to hold it. But since I'm an options trader and I own 100 shares, I'm going to go ahead and create another covered call. So I'm going to sell the March 22nd, 205 call. I'm going to collect only about $57 worth of premium, but that $57 reduces my capital spent. It reduces my risk exposure by that premium that I received. I still retain the entire risk of full stock ownership. Very, very important to note. But when I'm structuring this trade, because I chose the 205 calls and a less of a credit, I'm prioritizing capital appreciation over yield, which is something to consider when we're talking about covered calls because we have a stock that's driving the strategy. And when we own a stock, we want it to go up in value. So therefore, I want to make sure that I allow myself enough room of capital appreciation, hence the 205 selection there. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm really curious. I know this trade started back November 9th, I believe. How much premium have you collected ballpark um, for this call, of course, that you just described? But if you add them all together over the course of the last few months. Yeah, and we definitely, we're definitely going to have to ballpark it, Roberta, because I don't have yes. the exact numbers in front of me. But I believe it's $3 altogether. And we did some adjustments up because of the stock movement. And so it's important to account for capital appreciation overall. But it's a great example of following this trade of how you can consistently sell covered calls, being cognizant of your agreed upon sell price, collect premium along the way. And that just slowly reduces your risk exposure. So love that yeah. question. I, I agree. Yeah. Thanks for sharing this. It's such a good example of how a strategy can really build over time in a portfolio. So really thank you for sharing this one. Uh, so right now I want to shift gears because this is my favorite time of our, our time together. We get to talk about the trades, but then we get to look back and see what's happened as well. And uh, so we save time in our conversations to do just that and see how things played out. So Tony, we've got two of them today. Uh, let's start with you. What trade are you looking back on today? Yeah, Roberta, like you said, this is arguably, in my opinion, a very important part of the show because understanding how to adjust the trade and how to manage the trade is arguably more important than getting into the trade. So last week, I laid out a, a bearish thesis or rather a neutral thesis on Amazon going into earnings. And that clearly has not panned out the way that I expected to. Amazon reported significantly better than expected. The stock jumped about 10 bucks on earnings, which is why it's important to manage your trades, especially losing trades very, very quickly so that you can keep your losses as small as possible so that you continue to have the opportunity opportunity to trade another day. So here's a, a, a trade where I sold the, the March 160, 170 call spread, hoping that Amazon would stay neutral around earnings, but it jumped that 10 bucks. I sold this credit spread originally for about $4.85. It's now trading at about $9.40, so nearly double the original value that I sold it for. That is a good time to consider cutting your losses and moving on, and that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm taking the loss, uh, keeping my losses small, and moving on to the next trade. All right. Good example of uh, knowing when to walk away. Thank you for sharing that, Tony. Jess, I know you're reflecting this week as well. Uh, what trade are you looking at back on? Yeah, absolutely. And, and since we have two look backs, I think it's so important to bring up a point with the way that we teach for overall risk management. So on Tony's trade, we wouldn't 
risk more than 2% of a portfolio. And we always talk about that three to one risk reward ratio. So if you have a winning trade, like we'll discuss, it mm -hmm. will offset those losses. And that's a very important part when you're considering overall portfolio management, because we're not going to be right 100% of the time, but we are going to be disciplined or at least do our best to be. So on December 14th, we I, I uh, traded a bull call spread on American Express. It was a February 16th, 175, 195 call, and it cost about $7.30. So right now the AXP or American Express has blown through my my upward strike of 195 currently or earlier today was about 208. So we could close that for a credit of about $19, which will give us a, a total gain of about 1,170. And what's important to note about managing this type of trade structure is when you have the underlying security going through your upper limit that we defined, which is that 195 strike, gamma actually turns negative in this means, which is just... It, it's a great way to utilize the Greeks to explain that you should close this out at that point because it equates to risk. A gamma represents a sharp movement and a sharp movement would mean that this would be unprofitable. And it just goes to that disciplined approach that we should have in closing out our strategies on the gain and the loss side. So this one ideally would have been closed out a little bit earlier when we got to 195. However, I want to make sure I share that with you today. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that discipline is certainly a key word here, uh, just with Tony's example as well. Uh, also here, knowing when to walk away and uh, more aptly described as discipline. I like that. Thank you, Jess. So before we wrap up today's conversation, Jess, do you have an, uh, can you give us all an idea of what's on the agenda for next week uh, from an economic view? Absolutely. So for the remainder of the week, there is still so much Fed speak. So hopefully we'll get some clarity on how the Fed is feeling about the decisions that they're making in the committee as a whole. We also are going to get out of a really big week of earnings. So that should give us some more clarity on the earnings picture. And next Tuesday, we have CPI and inflation data, and that always has potential to move markets. And of course, we'll talk about our key levels and actionable trade ideas. Excellent. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to that. And this does bring us to a close. And I want to thank all of our viewers for tuning in today. Jessica, Tony, thank you for bringing us your thoughts and trade ideas again today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us, Roberta. It was a really great conversation. Thank you so much, Roberta. It's been a pleasure to be here. Definitely appreciate you. For our viewers, if you're interested in further details specific to Tony and Jessica's trade ideas shared today, please join us on our midday market briefing, which will be tomorrow by visiting fideli.com forward slash in the money follow up. Also, if you're looking for further insights or if you missed the live show, be sure to sign up for Active Investor Weekly Newsletter to receive a highlight of the trades discussed. You can visit us at fideli.com forward slash Active Investor Weekly. We will see you back here today or next week, also on a Thursday for the next episode of In The Money. Take care.
Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Options trading entails significant risk and is not appropriate for all investors. Certain complex option strategies carry additional risk. Before trading options, contact Fidelity Investments by calling 800-544-5115 to receive a copy of Characteristics and Risks of Standardized Options. Supporting documentation for any claims, if applicable, will be furnished upon request. There are additional costs associated with option strategies that call for multiple purchases and sales of options such as spreads, straddles, and collars as compared with a single option trade. Technical analysis focuses on market action, specifically volume and price. Technical analysis is only one approach to analyzing stocks. When considering which stocks to buy or sell, you should use the approach that you are most comfortable with. As with all your investments, you must make your own determination as to whether an investment in any particular security or securities is right for you based on your investment objectives, risk tolerance, and financial situation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Greeks are mathematical calculations used to determine the effect of various factors on options. Views expressed are as of the date indicated, based on the information available at that time, and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of options play, and are not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. News, commentary, market data, and research reports are from third-party sources unaffiliated with Fidelity, unless otherwise noted, and are provided for informational purposes only. Fidelity does not endorse or adopt third-party content. Fidelity makes no guarantee that the information supplied is accurate, complete, or timely, and does not provide any warranties regarding results obtained from their use. Any screenshots, charts, or company trading symbols mentioned are provided for illustrative purposes only and should not be considered as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for the security. Options Play and Fidelity Investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. The third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE, SIPC.